Well, here he is again, Dizzy Dean, brought to you by the makers of Johnson's Wax for Carnu, the wax-fortified auto polish that cleans and polishes your car in one easy application. Howdy, everybody. And first of all, Dizzy Dean, how about that all-star game? Did it catch you with your prognostications out on a limb? No, it didn't catch me out on a limb, Frank. I can uh, say without hesitation that I'm proud of the way the game went, came out. Now, what do you mean, proud, Diz? As I remember it, you talked about long ball hitters and thought the National League had a good chance. I'm proud, Frank, because a pitcher won that game. You know, people don't appreciate that a lot of pitchers are very fine hitters. But Vic Rash had done all the pitching and made all the pitchers proud the way he stepped up there and won the 1948 ball game with a base hit. A single with a bases filled. I was mighty proud, glad to see Rashi up there in that pink. And I laughed when some of the experts in the press box around me were saying, that Bucky Harris. Why don't he send a Maggio or somebody in there to hit for Rashi? <laughs> Frank, us pitchers is pretty good hitters. Yes, sir, and a pitcher won this one with a base hit. And you don't have to look far for the hero of this game. It wasn't no long ball hitter. It was just another good hitting pitcher. Big rashy. Well, Diz, there was a lot of talk before and after that game about discontinuing the annual midsummer baseball show because some of the players didn't seem to be displaying too much interest in it. How do you feel about that? Frank, there was a full house out there in the ballpark. The fans seemed to like it. It put $93,000 in the players' pension fund. I can't see nothing wrong with the all-star game. Keep on playing, all I can say. I did hear some weeping afterwards uh, about not being such a whale of a ball game. But I noticed the American League crowd wasn't doing no moaning. No, no moaning with a record like that. Well, dears, it's mailbag time now. The letters have been just pouring in. Uh, Ben Todd of Batchtown, Illinois, wants to know what you think of the trouble the pitchers have been having this year. And as an old pitcher of parts, Dizzy, have you the answer to Mr. Todd's question? I sure think I got that answer, Frank. I've been noticing, too, that uh, ball games is running long and the pitchers have been wearing a regular path from the mound to the dugout and from the bullpen to that hill, and maybe vice versa. And every time you look up, there's a count of three and two on every hitter. And what, Professor Dean, is the answer? I think them home run crazy hitters has got the pitcher scared to death, Frank. It looks like they're scared to let loose of the ball. They stand out there and shake off the catchers, and it looks like they'd rather be taken up for being just a little bit wild, after all, walking five or ten men, than to have somebody get a couple of base hits. Well, have you a suggestion, Professor, how we might calm down those pitchers? You know, sort of uh, ease their minds. Yes, Frank, if the pitchers will quit trying to cut those corners too fine and just powder that ball in there, I think the game will get shorter and you won't need so many pitchers every day. I believe the pitchers have gone crazy about pitching to spots. A good pitcher don't have to worry too much about spots. Let him rear back and fire that fashion in there and break off a few jug-handled curves once in a while. And he'll find those hitters won't get so many doggone home runs. That's what me and Paul used to do. Just fog them in and let the hitters take care of themselves, brother. And that goes for all the good pitchers. Dazzy Vance never worried about anything except getting the ball in the strike zone. Carl Hubble was the same way. There was a great pitcher. You didn't see him ever walk everybody in the ballpark. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Paul back there, Diz, because another letter writer, Frank Crosby of Detroit, Michigan, wants to know if you were just kidding when you said recently that you came up the hard way. Frank, I'll say me and Paul come up the hard way. When we were kids, we never knew what it was to own a baseball glove. We used yarn from our dad's socks to make a baseball, and we cut a limb off of a hickory tree to make a baseball bat. And when we was picking cotton for 50 cents a day... We never had no time to think about higher education. 
uh, fifth grade, that is. Boy, we were sure green. You should have seen those cows chasing us when we caught the train. I know we've caught uh, on pretty good since then, but we didn't know much about the world outside of Texas and Arkansas and Oklahoma. I remember one time in New York when we was with the Cardinals. Somebody got kicking about the income taxes we had to pay, and Paul, uh, that's my kid brother, he said, you know, fellas, we all ought to do something about them taxes. They're too high. And if all the people in this here country would get together and vote the way, I'll bet we'd have things change. Paul said, uh, you know, most uh, there must be a million people in this country. Of course, Frank, I thought I was a lot smarter than Paul because uh, I spoke right up and said, uh, don't be silly, Paul. You know, doggone well, there's more than a million in this great big country. By golly, there must be nine or ten million. <laughs> well, Diz, you learn fast. Yep, Frank, I'm like Sam Nairn. He learned fast. Oh, another story, huh? Yes, this is a short one, Frank. You know, Sam Nairn was a young catcher with the Cardinals. Sam thought he was a third baseman, but Branch Ricky told him he was too fat. Third base didn't want him, and he'd better be a catcher. So Sam says, all right, Mr. Ricky, whatever you say, you get to saying that easy when you uh, around Uncle Branch, too. Yes, sir, Mr. Ricky. <laughs> Anyhow, Sam reported at training camp, and Frankie Frisch was manager. Sam asked Frank if there was any particular orders for him the first day. And Frank says, uh, no, Sam, no particular orders. Here's what I want you to do. You pick out some veteran on the club and do whatever he does. If he runs, you run. If he gets in the pepper game, you get in one. Well, about an hour later, Frank is leaning on the batting cage watching the Cardinals hit. And all of a sudden, ducking a foul, he sees Sam Nairing leaning on the batting cage, too. Hey, Sam, Frankie says, what are you doing here? I thought I told you to pick out some veteran on the club and do whatever he was doing. That's what I'd done, Mr. Frisch, Nairing tells Frankie. Who did you pick? Frankie wanted to know, and Sam Nairn says, I picked you, Mr. Frisch, and I've been doing whatever I've seen you done ever since. <laughs> well, Diz, you know, there's nothing like picking the best. And, for example, a lot of men are picking Johnson's Carnu when they're faced with the job of cleaning that family car. That's Nacho. We're making Carnu famous from Washington, D.C. to Ever Whistle Stop. Of course we are, Diz. After all, practically everybody wants something that'll make the tough job of cleaning a car a lot easier. Now, water alone won't do the job. You know that, men. In the past, if you wanted to tool along in a car that sparkled from bumper to bumper, you had to do two things. You had to clean away that stubborn road film that water won't touch, and you had to polish the car besides. But now, Johnson's Car New does both jobs in one easy application. Cleans your car and polishes it, too. Just rub it on, wipe it off. Carnu contains special cleaning ingredients that penetrate and carry away the film on your car. Film built up of bugs and tree sap and soil and tar. And that's because Carnu is fortified with wax. It polishes your car, too. Gives it a sleek, bright luster. For a real Sunday shine, get some Carnu today. That's Johnson's Wax Fortified Carnu, C-A-R-N-U. You will save yourself work, and you'll do your car proud. And now it's time for Dizzy Dean, the coach. And Diz, what advice have you today for ambitious young ball players who'd like to reach the big leagues? Frank, this is some general advice, and it's for the older boys. I mean those around 16, 17, or 18 years of age who are about ready to try their luck in pro baseball. And first, be sure you're in the best possible playing condition before you go to a tryout school. Get your arms and legs in shape. Get some batting practice. 
If you possibly can, try to go to a baseball school in midsummer or in the fall. After you had two or three months of playing baseball, then you'll be able to show your best ability. Second, find out what you can do best. I mean, if you can hound those grounders, try for the infield. If you're extra fast going after them flies, try for the outfield. And brother, if you can hit a ball a long way and often, don't worry. They'll find a place for you. Third, you have extra time to practice on anything that is your weakness. If you're a fine fielder and weak hitter, carry a bat around with you and bat every chance you get. If you're an outfielder who has trouble with ground balls, have somebody to hit grounders to you till you're blue in the face. And fourth, and here's some advice for city governments all over the country. Give those kids baseball fields to play on, folks. Don't have no fancy child delinquency programs. Just give the kids baseball amos and the boys will do all right. Nobody ever got into no trouble on a baseball field, except maybe an argument with umpires. And Leo DeRosa and Frankie Frisch will tell you that ain't no serious trouble. If you're worrying about the kids, just look around your town. See if the boys got a place to play baseball. And buy them a few baseballs and bats and gloves. Brother, they'll pay dividends more than all the fancy speech-making you can do. Well, I know now, Dizzy, why you said you wanted the fathers and brothers to listen to your advice. And now it's about time for you to spin one of your favorite yarns. What is it today, Diz? That sign business reminds me of one I always got a laugh out of, Frank. It's about Pepper Martin, the greatest one-man show that ever hit a baseball. He was third baseman and outfielder with the old gas house gang, and boy, was he a character. This one's about Pepper and signs. You know, in baseball, you have signs for everything. The pitch out, the steal, the hit and run, the sacrifice, and the manager usually relays it to a coach who flashes the sign from the coach's box at first to third. Well, one day we're playing the Giants at the polo grounds, and we've got a man on third with two out and Pepper Martin at bat, and the Giants leading two to one in the ninth. The count works to two strikes and two balls, and of course, under them circumstances... There's only one thing to do. Protect that plate and try for a base hit. But we all like to fell off the bench when Pepper puts down a bunt. Pepper could run like a scared rabbit, but the giant third baseman races in and throws out Pepper by a whisker. That ends the ball game, and when we gets to the clubhouse, Gabby Street, the manager is fit to be tied. He says, Pepper, I never thought you'd do a thing like that. And Pepper says, Gracious, Gabby, I was surprised, too, when I got the sign... Who give you that bunt sign, says Street. And Pepper says, Buzzy Wares give it to me. And Gabby says, Buzzy, did you give the bunt sign? And Buzzy says, yes, you gave it to me, Gabby, and I gave it to Pepper. And Gabby says, Buzzy, I don't believe you even know the bunt sign. And Buzzy says, yes, I do, like this. And Buzzy rubs his hand across his face, and then Gabby did explode. He says, Buzzy, you pulled a boner. Can't you tell the difference between when a man's giving a bunt sign and when he's just chasing a fly off his nose? <laughs> <laughs> well, Diz, these managers really do have their troubles, don't they? And uh, speaking of managers, how about that managerial shake-up in the East yesterday? Well, Frank, uh, that's something I'm glad to talk about, and it was really a shock to me, and I'm sure it's a shock to a lot of uh, people in baseball over, all over the country. Nobody even dreamed that Leo DeRosa would be let out as a, a Brooklyn Dodger and uh, go to the New York Giants. And little Mel Ott, who was manager of the New York uh, Giants, went to the office. Well, I want to say something about those two boys. I played against them, and I played with them. They're two great fellows. And just like baseball men all over the country say, when you're going pretty good, why, the manager's always in there. But if you happen to hit a uh, slump, and you have a little bad luck, 
why they say the first thing is say, let's fire the manager. So that's exactly why they made that change, and uh, we can see which is going to do the best because Bert shot and managed the ball club in Brooklyn last year. He's back there now as manager. The New York Giants, the Brooklyn Dodgers have changed managers, and they're practically tied for fourth place, uh, about a half a game separating one another. And by the time the season's over, we'll see which one of the clubs prosperous by the change of those managers. Well, it was certainly, as you say, Diz, a, a great shock to the baseball world to see all this take place and all in one day. Uh, these two uh, uh, managers, New York and Brooklyn, and then that change in the Philadelphia Phillies, too. Yes, uh, Ben Chapman's let out, and I want to say that there's another great friend of mine, a great ball player, and I thought he was doing all right as a manager. But as I said a minute ago, you know, when you get to going bad, why, uh, the manager's the first fellow they fire. And uh, the Phillies got off to a great start under Ben Chapman, and he was right up there one and a half and two games out of the first place for the first uh, 40 or 50 ball games. Then they went into a little slump, and then they let Chapman out yesterday. And uh, after all, he had a young ball club, and he's going to have a good ball club one of these days, but I think they're a year or two away. Well, uh, have you any idea what he's going to do now, Diz? Well, uh, Frank, he's got a bowling alley, and I think he'll go down there and uh, and run his bowling alley. He lives down there in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. He lives in Birmingham. And speaking of Birmingham, you know, uh, Ben was out, just let out yesterday. He's probably got down there just in time this morning for that uh, rebel convention they're having down in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we certainly hope you'll be right back with us at this same time next week to listen to Dizzy Dean, brought to you by Johnson's Carnew. A wax-fortified auto polish that cleans and polishes your car in one easy application. Rub it on and Carnu zips away road film that water won't touch. Wipe it off and Carnu polishes your car. Gives the whole body a new car luster. Carnu your car today. And then tomorrow you will breeze down the highway in a car with a real Sunday shine. Remember, rub it on and wipe it off is all you do with car new. And this is old Dizzy, hoping all you folks are in the stands this time next Saturday. I'll be pitching my cross again for Johnson's car new. This is Frank Eschen saying goodbye until next Saturday for the makers of Johnson's wax-fortified auto polish car new. The Dizzy Dean Show came to you from KSD St. Louis. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.